so good to have you with us. Happy New Year. I'm sure you've heard that enough, haven't you? Like, at what point in the year do we stop saying Happy New Year? I think the first weekend is okay. Maybe next weekend we might get away with it. If you're still saying Happy New Year to people in February, you've probably stretched it a bit too far. But um, one of the things that people uh, know about me is that I quite like an argument. I don't know if there's anyone else who enjoys an argument. You can hear a chorus of what from certain people in the room. That's my personality type. They call it the debater. If you do these personality assessments, I've probably told you this before, but I, I love a good argument, sorry, a, a discussion. I love a good discussion. And I love, whatever the context, I don't mind. I will have a row with you about politics. Um, we can discuss, like, church stuff. I can talk about, like, the ins and outs of whatever it is that we're doing until, like, everyone else is bored and given up. And sometimes I do that on purpose in the hopes that they will get bored and give up, and then we'll just agree that whatever I said was the way that we're going to do it given away my tricks too early in the year, haven't I? But um, one of the other things that, uh, I, I, one of the other places I'm quite happy to have an argument is at work. We did a personality assessment and it turns out that like they rank the different types of conflict and there is like statistically no one who, uh, no one is less likely to avoid conflict than me. So I am every, they're like 0% of people Will, will use, like I am, like my avoidance as a way of dealing with conflict for me is literally 0%. So I just don't avoid anything. So basically I'm prepared to argue about everything. And I had this opportunity at work, it was a great opportunity. There was kind of a disagreement between two different teams about how we were managing a difficult patient in the community and I was asked to go and represent the views of our team in this meeting, which is such a great opportunity. They were literally going to pay me to argue with other people. It doesn't get any better than that, does it? But there was a small problem about this because I was working from home that day. It's small. I say small, it's about that tall because I had my son with me for this Zoom call. And, and weirdly, Benedict didn't really understand why daddy wasn't giving him his full attention. So while I was trying to make some sensible points and put together a coherent argument on a Zoom call, Benedict was crying, trying to play, climbing my leg. The whole thing became this weird kind of pantomime of me having my camera on when he was on the floor and off when he was in my arms and not just trying to kind of turn my mic on and off in between making really sensible and well thought out points, but uh, between crying. I don't mean me crying, I mean <laughs> Benedict crying. And then we kind of managed to reach a settled place and things were going really well. Um, and just as I was kind of summing up what the views of our team was, I watched as Benedict walked over to a cabinet in that room where we store a selection of different glasses and just was like opening the door. And I was like, anyway, that's our point. Thanks very much. Lovely to see you. Bye. There's <laughs> the relief when I was finally able, like when the other team had left and I could show them, my team, why I hadn't been quite as on it as I normally am. And to hold that, show them my beautiful son was a wonderful moment. But I share that story because I kind of feel a bit like I felt on that Zoom call as I head into 2024. I don't know whether anybody else is with me. I hope that you've had a relaxing and restful time over the past few weeks. But, but it feels to me like as soon as I've come back to work, I have just been bombarded with messages. I couldn't believe my email inbox could fill up so quickly. And I don't know if it's just the kind of people that I follow on social media, but... 
I feel like even before I was back at work, I was bombarded with messages about what I should do in the new year, about the resolutions that I should set, about the plans that I should set in place, about the goals and dreams and aspirations that I should set. Like, I follow a lot of those people on social media, I'm afraid. Those, you know, fit influencers, and they're like, oh, they're like, you know, I've done a... 30-mile run before breakfast, let me just jump in the cold shower. That's the kind of people I follow. But I kind of feel like it kind of reached peak New Year's resolution land because there seemed to be an argument on my social media between whether or not you should even set a resolution. There was a guy on BBC News, like on New Year's Day, and they asked him, should you set a resolution or not? And he was like, well, on one hand, on the other hand, I'm like, oh my gosh, even you don't know, you're the expert. But I don't think that it's just New Year that leaves me feeling like this. I don't know about anybody else, but it feels like there are always messages coming in, aren't there? And I don't just mean like that in your email inbox, there is always someone vying for attention. And I'm not just saying if you've got a toddler. Like it's, we're constantly bombarded. Like they say that the average person will see like 10,000 adverts a day. Like, I don't even know how they manage that. I don't know where they are, like whether they're going and standing in Times Square and just looking around for the whole day or what. But that's a lot of messages coming in that are about things that we should want or about the kind of life that we should try and live. And, you know, there's always someone who's vying for our time and our attention. There's notifications coming off on our phone. There's all these different ways that are trying to grab our attention. And we're starting a new series today, which is all about hearing God. It's not a surprise, is it? It's massive letters behind me. But in a noisy world, what conditions are required to hear from God? Like, does God speak through our social media feed? Is he speaking or we're being bombarded by those emails in our inbox? Is God speaking through some of those adverts that we see? Does all of the busyness and all of the input that we have in life make it harder or easier for us to hear from God? Today, I want us to ask about what conditions are required to hear from God. But, but I also want to ask you another question before we get into it, and, and that is slightly more provocative. It's, do you want to hear from God this year? Do you have the energy to hear from God this year? Are you open to it? Because if I'm honest, I don't know that I'm coming into 2024 as energized as I would like to be. Maybe because I kind of had to work between Christmas and New Year. I was on call over Christmas. I don't feel like I had maybe the break that I was hoping for. So I don't know whether I've got that openness and enthusiasm to the idea of hearing from God that maybe I have done in other years. And maybe you're feeling like that today. Maybe you are coming off the back of a really difficult year and it's hard to feel optimistic about hearing from God or even about thinking about what's ahead in 2024. Maybe you have been working really hard for a long time and it just feels like more of the same old slog. Or maybe you've been in church for a long time like I have and at the start of the year you're like, oh, there's always going to be something about what are we going to do with the year ahead? And you're like, maybe once upon a time, Phil, I was open to that, but I've heard that kind of thing so much that I just don't know if I'm open to hearing the voice of God. So I want us to explore that a little bit today as well. And maybe you're someone, this is all new to you, you're not normally found in church, you've got no idea how you've ended up, you don't even know whether God speaks. Maybe you've been in church for a while, but you're not sure whether God speaks today. I hope that wherever we're coming from, that what we cover today will be significant in exploring some of those questions 
about the conditions that were required for us to hear from God. And to do look at this, we're going to look at the example from the Old Testament, first of all, of a man called Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. He was someone who was chosen by God to communicate to God's chosen people, the Israelites. And we're going to read about Elijah's encounter with God in 1 Kings 19. But to set the scene, Elijah was effectively waging war on God's behalf against the king Ahab and his wife Jezebel, who had taken a different path and were leading the people away from God, away from God and toward the worship of Baal. And in the chapters that precede the bit that we're going to read, Elijah has first prophesied drought in the land because the people aren't following God. And then he's called down fire from heaven to defeat the prophets of Baal. And then he finally said that the rain would come based just on seeing one little cloud in the distance. He has summoned enough faith to believe for rain. But when we pick things up in 1 Kings 19, Elijah is actually coming off the back of a period of time in the wilderness. And as we will see from his first comments to God here, he must have lost some of his zest, some of his zeal, some of his energy, because he has begun to complain to God. God leads him up a mountain looking to find some answers. So we're going to pick this up from verse 9, just as Elijah gets to the mountain. It says, There he went into, the cave, into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord, God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And the voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah has three incredible experiences, one after another. There is the great and powerful wind that tears the mountain apart and shatters the rocks. There is the earthquake and there is the fire. But God is not speaking through any of those three. God speaks in a gentle whisper, in a still, small voice. And for those of us who are used to this kind of church, perhaps that seems counterintuitive or surprising. Maybe we have grown used to the idea that God speaks in the midst of the music and the lights. Maybe we have learned that all of this production is required for us to hear from God. While there is value in all of this, here we see how God speaks in a still small voice. That God does not shout through the spectacular, he whispers in the silence. And at the start of a series that is all about hearing from God, as we consider the busyness of our world and all the messages that we hear, I wonder if we have the space and time in life to hear the still, small voice of God. Where do we have the time to hear the gentle whisper? Or are we so busy 
that it would take a mighty wind or a great earthquake or an unexpected fire to get our attention for long enough for God to speak to us. If we leave Elijah for a moment and look to the life of Jesus, we find more than a hint that we need space and time if we are to hear from God. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God with us. His whole life was lived in step with God. And we read in multiple places how he was in constant communication with God the Father. At one point, he prays, asking that God the Father would hear him, but says, well, actually, I know that you always hear me. He was in constant conversation with God the Father, and yet one of the things that we consistently see in the life of Jesus was that he goes off to pray. He prioritizes time to pray. He finds and seeks out quiet spaces. He heads into the wilderness as his ministry begins. We read that he got up early to pray, but we also see examples when after a busy day of ministry, for example, he will stay up late to find quiet space in which to pray. In perhaps the time of his greatest challenge, in the hours before his trial, before he is put to death, we read of how he goes with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then he goes off with a few of his closest friends and then he goes a little further on his own to pray. Jesus prioritizes space and time to pray. And I imagine that there will be those who say, well, I don't necessarily need space and time to hear from God. Even in the context of planning for this series, Sam and I were having a conversation about a leader from another church who was talking about um, hearing from God all the time. And I'm sure that there is truth in that too. But my suggestion today is that if you're struggling to hear from God, or you're wondering what conditions will most help you to hear from God, then what you need is space and time. And it's perhaps a little bit like a parent and their child. You've probably heard it said that a, a parent can hear their child cry. They can pick out the cry of their child in a crowd, that if they're in a busy play area or a crowded shopping mall, that they, can, they know when a child cries, that is my child. But what I want to suggest to you today is perhaps that is a little bit like hearing from God. Because the truth is that you don't learn what your child's cry sounds like in the middle of a busy shopping mall. You don't learn it by trying to pick it out from all the other kids at the play area. You learn what your child's cry sounds like in the middle of the night. You learn it when it is the only noise in a quiet house. You learn it when it wakes you from your sleep. You learn it when all is dark and all is quiet. So yes, at the end of the day, you can pick out your child in the crowd, but you learn what they sound like in space and time and solitude. And perhaps some of us have started or have lost what the voice of God sounds like, or we wonder how we can start to hear the voice of God. And if you start trying to do it in the crowd, it will be much harder than if it is the only voice you are listening for in the silence, in the quiet. And this argument is underlined by Elijah's experience here. Elijah was the guy who was set apart to hear from God. But he has lost a bit of his faith and expectation. He has lost a sense of what it is that God is yet doing in that nation. He isn't hearing from God as clearly anymore. That was his one job. And he had lost sight of it because of the experiences that he had had. And where does he go? He doesn't go to the busy place looking for the voice of God. He is led into the wilderness and up the mountain. You can't get much further away from other people than that. And in the quiet he begins to hear from God again. So if we need 
to learn how to hear from God in the first place, or we want to get back to being attuned to the voice of God, then we need that space and time and silence. So my first question to you in applying this message is, where is your mountain? Where is your mountain? Weird question to ask in East Anglia, I recognize that. We can't be much further away from a mountain, can we? Where is it that you will find the space and time to hear from God? Maybe it's a few moments in the morning with a coffee before everyone else wakes up. Maybe you will find that alone time in the evening. Your kids are up so early, you ain't got no chance of getting up before them. But maybe when they're in bed, there is a quiet space. Maybe there is a place in your house. You need to designate that chair or that room as a place where you will find the space and time you need to hear from God this year. Maybe it's in your garden. Maybe it's out on a walk or for a run. If we want to tune in or tune in again to the voice of God, we need to get away from some of the busyness and the noise to create space to hear the still small voice. Another thing that's appeared on my social media a lot over the last few days is lots of churches that are doing prayer and fasting. 21 days, 28 days, 45 days. I don't know, like just build it up every year or what. And I'm sure there's a great value in that. I think there's something really powerful about doing that. Maybe that's something that you want to do. But, you know, I would be happy if as a community off the back of this, we just said just for this week or for the next couple of weeks, I'm just going to spend five or ten minutes in silence and stillness, listening for the voice of God. I think that feels a bit more achievable to me. Not easy, but pretty straightforward. And I think that if we, all of us, said, well, I can do that here in Norwich, there in Ipswich, wherever you might be online, just five to ten minutes of silence and solitude to hear the voice of God, I think that that might be the thing that just starts to shift this for some of us and maybe starts to shift something for our community this year as well. But that's not the whole story. Because I mentioned that Elijah was in a pretty negative place when he came to the mountain. You can tell from his language, can't you? So what, what is it that triggered that negative response? Well, if you read the start of this chapter, we see that Elijah spirals in response to a threat from Jezebel the queen. She says that she will take his life like he took the lives of the prophets of Baal, and what we read is Elijah's response at the start of verse 19. Just to go back before the bit we've just read, it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he took, got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. And that's when he goes into the cave. And you know, Elijah's response is perhaps understandable, right? In normal circumstances. He has been threatened by the queen. We've probably seen enough of Game of Thrones to know that that's a dangerous place to be in. But Elijah's the man who called down fire from heaven, prophesied drought and then rain. Why would he fear anyone in that situation? 
Now, I've spoken of this passage a few times before, and it's my view, professionally as much from a church perspective, that Elijah is burnt out here. Given that he's just called down fire from heaven, perhaps quite literally. He is exhausted. He has been on a constant state of go. He's been in a state of high stress, high arousal. And when he expected success, he finds more threats. And I think that he dips. And we don't have time to go into all of the details. But what we see here is someone who feels overwhelmed despite their successes. Who has grown angry with God in the midst of their challenges. And perhaps that is something that we can relate to. Perhaps it is those things that stop us from hearing from God. And I would love to tell you that hearing God's voice on the mountain is the thing that shifts it for Elijah, that you just need to hear the voice of God and everything changes. But I actually think there are some steps that Elijah goes through before he even gets to the mountain that help him to be receptive to God. I would think we need to develop what I would call a rhythm of receptiveness, that we need to set certain things straight that will help us to hear from God. So what is it that we see here? Well, one of the first things that we see for Elijah is that he falls asleep. And he must have been pretty tired because he falls asleep twice. But it would seem then that rest is an essential part of our receptiveness to the voice of God. I wonder if there is time for rest in the rhythm of your life. And I ask that because I am someone who struggles with this. I'm not good at sleeping. I'm not good at taking time out when I'm not working. I've perhaps convinced myself that I can do more with 100% of my time than God can if I just entrusted some of it to him. And one of the ways that we might think about building more margin into our lives is to think about something that we would call the Sabbath, about a principle of taking off one day a week for rest and recuperation. It's not about doing nothing necessarily, but it's about engaging in some restorative activity, doing some stuff that's just fun. It just gives us a break because that might be what it takes for us to thrive in the longer term. One of the things that I'm working on to improve my receptiveness to God is going to bed earlier. I don't think that God is looking for worn out warriors. I think he is looking for people who know what it is to rest because you're more receptive when you're better rested. Another element that we see here for Elijah is what he eats and drinks. And I'm no dietitian. I am not going to advise you on what you should eat, naturally. But I do think that it's worth considering what we are consuming. If we consume a constant diet of frustrations and arguments on social media, perhaps it is harder to hear the Prince of Peace when he speaks. Perhaps if we consistently consume content that leads us away from God, it will be more difficult to hear his voice. Perhaps if the stuff that we take in is not honoring to God, then maybe we will struggle to hear him when he speaks. And from a more positive perspective, perhaps if we are consistently found reading the Bible, perhaps if we have a regular habit of prayer, perhaps we will find it easier to recognize the voice of God. In other words, the content we consume impacts our capacity to hear from God. And finally from this, and some would say that this is stretching things, but Elijah spends a lot of time walking in this passage. And it is my personal view that exercise can play a significant role in our receptiveness to the voice of God. Now, this is a very personal thing for me. I, I often hear from God while I'm out running. I, I find that, you know, I try and have some quiet time in the morning before everything else to read the Bible and pray. But it is often when I'm out running that I have the space and time to really work through things with God. But I don't think it's only about 
space and time, just as I don't think physical activity is solely about our physical well-being. One of the great sadnesses that I have about our communication around exercise is that we've made it about losing weight or about being fit and strong, and we've neglected some of the mental health benefits of exercise. Exercise is very good at releasing the kind of hormones that help us to feel satisfied and fulfilled. It helps to burn off the kind of chemicals that are increased in stress and anxiety. And undoubtedly, it helps our mental acuity. That is to say, in other words, that it helps us to think more clearly and sharply. They suggest that one of the best things that you can do if you're sleep deprived is to engage in 20 minutes of aerobic activity. So not full out burning like crazy, but a brisk walk or a light run, and that actually that stuff helps to bring us back to that level of mental functioning. So I think that if we're to become people who can go the distance and serve the purpose of God across a number of years, then exercise is perhaps a key part of our mental endurance as well as our physical well-being. And then when it comes to being receptive to God, we might want to think about walking or running or engaging in some activity because there is certainly some value in exerting ourselves and perhaps in spending some time in fresh air as well. And for some of us, a helpful step toward exercising faith might just be to exercise. So in terms of application, perhaps it would help us to ask, how will I craft a rhythm of receptiveness? What are some of the habits that I should put in place that will help me to hear from God? As well as finding that space and time, that silence and solitude to hear the still small voice, what is some of the stuff that will help me to maintain my energy and enthusiasm for the voice of God? And perhaps that's about building rest into your rhythm, making sure that you have time off or you don't neglect sleeping. Maybe it's considering what you're consuming, thinking about what it is that you're taking in, what it is that you're scrolling through on social media. Maybe it's adding in some exercise to develop your mental sharpness as well as your physical endurance. What does it look like for you to develop a receptive rhythm? Really, those are the two things that I want you to take home from today. Where is your mountain? How will you find the space and time to hear the still, small voice of God? And how will you craft a rhythm of receptiveness? What do you need to put in place so that you are open to the voice of God when he speaks? Because I think in the midst of our busy world, it is easy for us to drown out the voice of God with other things. But if you want to hear from God, we need space and time, silence and solitude to hear the still small voice. While exciting experiences like our Sunday expression are of some benefit, a personal relationship with God relies upon having the space and time to hear him in the quieter moments as well. And if we are to have energy and openness to hear his voice, we need to think about the rhythm of our lives this year, about rest, about what we're consuming, about how we exercise. As I draw to a conclusion, I want to share just one more thought from this passage, because one thing that I find really interesting is that God doesn't really answer Elijah's complaint. Even after the still small voice, Elijah just kind of echoes back the same thing to God when asked what he's doing there. So let's just pick it up again from verse 13 and see what God says. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Basically says the same thing again. God's response. 
The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel and anoint Elisha son of Shaphat from Adel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. God doesn't answer Elijah's complaint at all, really, does he? He certainly doesn't work line by line through the things that Elijah is complaining about. But instead, what God does is he speaks to Elijah's future purpose. He tells him about the ones that he is to anoint about the ones that will succeed him, about those who are ready to be called to rally around the call of God. And perhaps regardless of whether we've come into this year on a high or in the midst of a tough time, this is a helpful thing for us to bear in mind as we go into the rest of this series. There is so much more for us to explore about hearing from God. We will talk about what the voice of God sounds like, about what it means to know the will of God and follow his purpose, about perhaps about how we can make great decisions in line with that. But let me encourage you. There is a purpose for us as individuals and as a community. There is great benefit to the quality of our lives if we can tune in to the voice of God. But there is also a difference that we can make in our world when we hear the voice of God. Whether our past is about great success or about a period of will in the wilderness, God has a purpose for us. In Elijah's case, it was a purpose that turned around a nation and shifted the direction of the generations. What if God calls us to something similar? What if we could tune in to hear his voice? What if we could be galvanized afresh by his purpose? What if we could cast off the weariness, set aside the busyness, and hear from him? I wonder what it would do in us, and I wonder what it would do in our world. So for today, where is your mountain? How will you find the space and time, the silence and solitude that you need to hear from God this week? And how will you craft a rhythm of receptiveness? What habits will help you to stay open to him and energized by his purpose? Because when we hear the voice of God, things change in us and in our world. Would you stand? We're going to sing together. We're going to pray together. We're going to lean in to hear the voice of God today. Thanks so much.